Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Please help me now to speak truly and clearly. Please help us to listen and and hear and understand and, and put into practice what you say to us. Amen. They just had something that I wanted. That's a phrase I've heard a a number of people use to describe how they got interested in Christian things. Looking at Christians they knew or the Christian community and finding something attractive. What is that thing? And do you think people see that thing when they look at you, when they look at us? Well, this week we're looking at a part of Ephesians about how Christians relate to those on the outside. But the place we need to start with is identity, who we are. And so please have a look first with me just at the heart of our passage there in verses 8 to 14 and zoom right in on verse 13. Paul quotes there what looks to be a a song that early Christians would have sung, one that is based on Isaiah 60 that we had uh, read a little bit earlier and one that reminds them of who they are, who we are. I wish I knew the tune to this one, but I don't. But here it is. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We were talking about resurrection a couple of weeks back. And what a wonderful hope that is, that we will be raised from the dead like Jesus. And though our bodies are not yet raised up to be like his imperishable body, When we trust in Jesus, we become spiritually alive. That's what this this song is talking about. You go from being the opposite to light, in darkness, asleep, dead, to being illuminated by Jesus, the source of light. That's what it means to be a Christian fundamentally, to be woken up, brought into life, into light by Jesus. But it's actually bigger than just being lit up externally by Jesus. It's transformative too. Look at verse 8. It says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. A Christian isn't just in the light. A Christian is light. Light in the Lord. A Christian trusts Jesus, which binds them to Jesus and means that Jesus' light now emanates out from the Christian. It's an amazing transformation. I used to have a uh, a poster of the moon on my bedroom door and it was a great poster. It was very good in the daytime or in the light, but as soon as it was dark, you couldn't see the poster. I also had some great stickers that um, I haven't seen around much recently, but they're glow-in-the-dark stickers of stars and planets. And those stickers I had all over my roof. And when the dark came, those stickers, that's when they really shone because they somehow stored the light in them and were able to retransmit it. That's what a Christian is like. A Christian is light. So who are we? Light lit up by Jesus. But where are we? Well, we're surrounded by darkness. It's an evocative term, darkness. But that's how Paul describes what the Ephesians used to be. You can see it there in verse 8. Before they had faith in Christ, 
That's how Paul describes those in the world who are not lit up by Christ. So what does darkness look like? In this passage, well, darkness has got two roots, greed and what I'll call escapism. He talks about the first one, greed, in the first chunk of text there in verses three to seven, with sexual immorality as the main example of that. And then he talks about escapism in verses 15 to 20, with drunkenness as the example there. And these two examples, I reckon, are still two very pertinent examples for us in 21st century Sydney. Let's look at uh, greed first. Look at verses three to five there. Paul talks about sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed. Greed, whether sexual or not sexual, it's the desire to have more, to have something that you don't have. And you can see in verse five, Paul equates greed with idolatry. That's the fundamental sin, really. The core problem with humanity, a hungry desire for something other than God, something other than God and his good gifts. And sexual immorality is a key example of what flows from greedy idolatry. Paul's uh, catch-all terms here describe really any sexual activity that's outside the place God designed for it in a man and woman marriage. For instance, adultery, looking at pornography, casual sex. Each of these is driven by greed, by a hunger for something that God's not given you. And the outcome of this way of life, of unrepentant, continual disobedience and failure to have Jesus light up life is God's wrath. You can see it there in verses five and six. No immoral, impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul is talking about those who continue in darkness, the darkness that Christians are saved from. Well, out of greed flows sexual immorality, but flows other things too. A desire for more and more stuff, for instance, to own more, to show that you own more, to have the latest thing, or a desire for more and more success, wanting to achieve more, fit more in, do more stuff uh, at the cost of, of everything and everyone else. Greed is the first mark of darkness. Here's the second mark of darkness that this passage talks about. It's almost the opposite, but just as insidious, escapism. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So the word translated debauchery at its core is about wastefulness. It's the opposite to, to saving, to preserving. It's the opposite to what Paul says just above in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Paul is saying that if you drink to the point that you're drunk, then you lose ability to control what you're doing. You say things that you normally wouldn't and you can't remember what's going on anyway. Well, if you do that, you're wasting time. You're avoiding reality. What else could flow from this kind of escapism? Perhaps binging on, or binging on anything really, whether it's television shows or games or social media or even 
even books or um, imagination, using things God has given us to escape from responsibility, to escape from life. So there's a second thing that typifies the darkness. What does light do when it's surrounded by darkness? Well, firstly, and and this may seem obvious, the light doesn't join in. Look at verse 7. It says, Do not be partners with them, that is, those who are doing immoral or impure or greedy things. That word partners, it's got a sense of, of joining in, of participating. And Paul's saying, don't. I guess what might be less obvious than the actual behaviour is that joining in encompasses speech too. Because what you say flows from the inside as well. Look at verse 4. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. It's not so much about not using particular blacklisted words. I don't actually know what's on the list anyway. But it's about what's flowing out of greed or escapism. See, greed drives so much of our world. What does joining in on that look like? To join in might look like letting your mind wander about the possibilities of some kind of of sexual experience with someone who's not your spouse, driven by greed. Joining in might look like making a dirty joke which flows out of a, a dirty mind which flows out of a greedy heart. Joining in on greed for stuff might look like never holding back on buying anything that you want. It might look like talking incessantly about the house or the bike or the PlayStation that you own proudly. It might uh, look like joining in on greed for success by chronic busyness because you're just wanting to get more and more done. It might look like always talking about how busy or how tired you are uh, when someone asks you how you're going to give them or perhaps yourself the impression that you've succeeded at this virtue of filling up your time. Or what about escapism? What about joining in with that? Joining in, of course, could mean getting drunk, surrendering control of yourself. It could mean joining in with the world's idea at the moment that uh, a bit of alcohol as a coping mechanism during isolation is, is valid. It could mean uh, binge watching television or binge playing a game or binge scrolling on the social media. Of course, if you've had just a bit of a think about some of that list, you'd, you'd know that we all join in, in one way or another. We all still have flashes of darkness, moments motivated by greed, times we bury our heads and escape. That's the messy reality. That's why Paul bothers writing about this at all. That's when we again have to be reminded that we're not the ones doing the shining, but that it's Jesus, the perfect light who shines on us and continues to shine. If we're in him, he's in us and we are light. So it's actually not just about not joining in. It's not just about morality. 
The second thing light must do when surrounded by darkness is shine. Um, hopefully you've heard that Jonathan is uh, running some conversations on Christianity based on the book Mere Christianity. Um, he's starting that in a, in a couple of weeks. But here's an excerpt from uh, that book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, that sums up this beautifully. Though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue, yet it leads you on out of all that into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk of those things, except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror is filled with light. But they do not call it goodness. They do not call it anything. They are not thinking of it. They are too busy looking at the source from which it comes. See, Christian ethics isn't just about avoidance. It's an ethic of involvement, involvement in something better, driven by looking at Jesus. The last part of our passage speaks of a spirit-filled life. That doesn't mean an ecstatic worship experience. It's talking about uh, the driving force of a Christian. Last week, Andrew spoke about learning Jesus and how we need to let that drive us more and more. When Jesus returned to uh, his father's side after his resurrection, he sent his spirit. Learning Jesus results in Jesus' spirit being the driving force, being us being filled with the spirit, filled not with greed, not with escapism, with the spirit. And look at some of the things that flow out of a spirit-driven life. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from the heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything, submitting to one another. We'll talk more about uh, relationships within the church, submitting to one another next week. But look at those other things that flow out of a spirit-driven heart. The things that are in fact the solution to greed and escapism, spiritual speech and thankfulness. First, spiritual speech, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, making music to the Lord. It's hard to nail down exactly what each one of these refers to. And to be honest, I don't think we're supposed to. It's talking about words that speak of God's goodness and praise Him. They are words, they are songs spoken to one another, but also to God out of the heart, using words for good. We perhaps have an illustration of this kind of song uh, further up just just in uh, verse 13. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, it's not that we should only communicate as if life's a musical, although that that would be cool, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's giving an example of the kind of language that should be used as a Christian. Spiritual language, reminding and encouraging each other of what God has done for us in Jesus. Praising God, that's spiritual speech. And the second thing that flows out of a spirit-filled heart 
always giving thanks to God. Thankfulness is the overflow of a heart that has acknowledged God's gift to us in Jesus. An acknowledgement that what we have, what he has given us is good and what we have is enough. Instead of greed, we have hearts of thankfulness, not wanting more, thankful for all that God has given us, whether that be people in our lives, whether it be capacity to do things, beautiful things to look at, just the, the basic necessities of life that he keeps providing. Instead of obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, instead of empty words, we use spiritual words, words full of praise for God. Instead of a desire to escape, we have a thankfulness to God for the good things, even amongst the sad things that we're tempted to escape from. We have spirit-driven songs that do reflect the sadness and difficulty of the situations that we're in, but also speak of trust and hope, like so many of the Psalms. What flows out of a spirit-filled person is thankfulness and spiritual words that bring light. And just like a candle being lit in a, a pitch black cave, that has an impact on darkness. Look at verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And there's more. Look down at verse 13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. People need to hear the good news of Jesus to trust him. But this passage is speaking about something else, a kind of supporting role that God uses to move people from darkness to light. That is demonstrating the light ourselves, that thing that Christians have. The light-filled lives of Christians should be such that they show people the real, God-given, proper, fitting, life-bringing way to live life and expose, by contrast, the fruitless deeds of darkness. That is, Jesus, the light, should be visible by the actions of Christians which have been transformed by him. And the hope is that those watching will meet the true light for themselves. So this is who we are. We are light. This is where we are, surrounded by darkness. But this is how we should be where we are, not joining in, but being thankful and speaking spiritually and showing up the darkness. So how do you think non-Christians see you, see us? How would you want them to? Perhaps with a little bit of confusion, even derision perhaps, that you're not joining in with everything they think is great. But hopefully also recognising that there's something about you, there's something else that drives you, that you're content, you're thankful, your words build up and bring life and perhaps want to walk into light themselves. Praise God for his grace in bringing us into light. And let's pray that the light in us would be used to help others find light 
and that this song would be true of them too. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen.